There I am. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jake Johnson. If this is your first time, we are so glad that you are here. The semester is back. Maybe that is so exciting for some of you. Maybe that is just a, a really sad moment because you don't want to go to school and you don't want to learn and you don't want to sit through hours of class. And, and I get that. I get that. I'm back to school. Monday was my first day of seminary. And so I'm with all of you in this grind of, of school and life and trying to have fun and, and also trying to learn and grow. So uh, one of the things that we do here, uh, as far as the bridge goes, uh, we worship. This is a student-led worship team, and they're incredible. They bring it every single week. Uh, and then we open up God's word, and, and God's word is, is powerful. It is uh, God writing a, a message, a book to us to tell us about himself, that he would reveal himself through his word. But more than just himself, we learn so much about ourselves and what God has called us to and this mission, this purpose that we would have in this life. And so we open up this word every single week because it is so important that we do so. I was reading some, some statistics uh, earlier this week from uh, Pew Research and Barna, and, and I read a stat that just kind of shook me. It, it says that of, of people that attend church regularly, say 40% of them read their Bible once a month. These are people that attend church regularly. They read their Bible once a month. That is 40% of those that mark the box that I attend church regularly also mark the box that they read once a month. And it doesn't really get better. 15% say they never read the Bible, but they attend church regularly. That tells me a lot of things. One of them is that we can never run from this book. We need it. We are in great need of it. And I think if I could even tell of my own life, one of the things that we struggle with all the time, we know, man, I want to read the Bible. I need to read it more. I need to get back into it. But we just kind of wait around until we wake up one morning and we're just going to want to read the Bible. And we all kind of know that doesn't really happen. We wake up, we turn off our alarm, and they're like, oh, I wonder what's happening on Instagram. I wonder what's happening on TikTok. And we just run into the world immediately. And so if we just wait around and hope one day we're going to get into the Bible, we're probably never going to be in the Bible, maybe but once a month, and we're going to check that box. So one of the things that we think is such a big deal is that we would open God's word together as a people to be reminded of his goodness, to be reminded of our purpose, to be challenged, to be convicted, to be comforted. That's the beauty of this. Every single week as we open the word, some of you are going to be challenged and others of you are going to be comforted because that's the power of God's word. And we're going to start this series in the book of Acts. And uh, I am so, so excited about it. Acts really begins the church age. This is the church, the, the body of believers universally around the world. It started in Jerusalem after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and, and through the apostles, which if you know the book of Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles. So if you have a Bible, jump over to Acts, the book of Acts. It's in your New Testament. It's after, after the four Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, if you've gone to Romans or anything else you've gone too far, will be in Acts chapter 1. In this book, man, I can just tell you, it challenges us in so many ways. We are going to see a picture of, of God's church in the beginning days, of what they valued, of what they sought after, of how they gathered together and what they thought was important and the things that they practiced on a weekly basis so that we can learn from that. 
we can learn from those things. And, and, and it's incredible. Uh, Acts 1-8 really, to me, is just the theme verse across the board. And, and we're not going to get so much into Acts today. We're going to give a little background. Uh, but there's something else that I want to talk about uh, as we start. And I think it's perfect for the beginning of a semester. One of the things that I love, and it's a theme all throughout the scriptures, is, is the progression, the spiritual growth and maturity of believers. We all start as little baby Christians and we're kind of all over the place and we don't know a whole lot and we're one foot forward and one, two steps back. And, and then as time goes on, you just see this progression. You see this maturity. And I got a four-month-old that's crying back there. That's my wife, Amy. And then that's Asher right there. He's four-month-old today. And uh, he got weighed and he got his height. He's in the 95th percentile of height as a baby. So NBA, here we come. And, uh, and it's just been so fun. I should have brought pictures of, of him as a little newborn to where he is now. I mean, he's just chunky. He's eating well. He's doing all those things. And, and uh, we just love it. Thank you, Amy. Yep. Yeah, I think he's probably going to get fed right now. So he's in, he's in good, good hands. But anyways, I, I just love development and growth and seeing things from point A to point B and, and how God works in the life of somebody else. And here's what's cool. Every single person in this room, you're at different uh, stages of development. You're at different stages of growth in your walk with the Lord. But the cool thing is, is that God is in each one of your circumstances and in your stories. And maybe your point A is right here and you're like, man, I'm just... I need to go pick up a Bible off that shelf because I don't even have one, but I'm just kind of here and trying to figure this out. And maybe some of, of others in this room, uh, your point A is that you've been walking with the Lord since you were a kid, but you just kind of, you're just in a rut right now and you feel like you're drifting or wherever that may be. And the power of God's word meets us there and challenges us and encourages us wherever that next step may be. So I think God's going to do a tremendous thing in this. And I know that because he does it all throughout the scriptures. One of the things that we're going to see in the book of Acts is the development and the progression of Jesus's disciples. Disciples, he had 12 of them. He actually had more than just 12, but he had 12 that were with him all the time. 12 disciples. Disciples really means like an apprentice, one who followed along, that sat under the teaching of Jesus in his three-year ministry before his crucifixion and, and his resurrection. These guys just followed along with him. And if any of you had read uh, the Gospels, you know something to be true, that these guys were kind of a group of misfits, just some common Jews. He, he pulled them out of a tax collecting booth. He pulled them out of uh, uh, fishing enterprise, like all of these different things, their family business. He just pulls them from everywhere. These aren't the educated men of Israel. They're just kind of guys you pull off the streets. And they believe, kind of, they think that Jesus is the Messiah. They think he's the one that all the Old Testament was talking about, and they're trying to track with this, but they're confused. They're filled with doubt. They're kind of scared. They don't really know what's going on. And a lot of the times when Jesus would teach a message or have a conversation with him, Jesus is going this way and they're going this way. And they just never can seem to put it all together, put all the puzzle pieces together. And they're fearful. They're fearful of the Jews. They're fearful of failing and messing up. They're never really all in. Like they have one heroic moment and then the very next moment they just fall flat on their face. And I think every single one of us in the room can relate to that. I know I can relate to the disciples every single time. Like, it's easy to kind of make fun of them and be like, oh, Peter, silly Peter. But then I realize I'm the same way. That there are sometimes things that just kind of hold me back 
from a full confidence, from going all in with the Lord. And here's what's cool. When you go from the Gospels and then you flip a few pages to the book of Acts, you see a wildly different group of people. First of all, they're now the apostles. They got a name change. They, they got promoted. They were disciples. Those are one who follows, one that learned, that are apprentices. And then apostles literally means to be sent out. Ones who are sent out. They have been learning. They have been growing. And now Jesus says, your time is now. Go. You're ready. You're on mission. Go. Go where? Everywhere. They go from disciples to apostles, but they're not a fearful people anymore. They're not confused. All of a sudden, they are bold. They are courageous. They have a deep understanding of the Old Testament. All of a sudden, these guys are just quoting from everything, every little book, every little minor prophet, from, from, from everywhere, they're just quoting it left and right with a deep understanding of what God is doing. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day were like, aren't these just uneducated men from Galilee? Like, how do they have such great learning? And the question for us is, how did that happen? What changed? Obviously, the Lord was discipling them for those three years and, and building up their, their maturity, building up their understanding. But even to the end, and we're going to talk about that, even to the end, to the moment that Jesus was crucified, they're still kind of confused and they're all over the place. And so what was that moment that the, the switch was flipped for them, that they went from confused, fearful, to bold and courageous with a deep understanding of what God was doing. And to connect that with us, here we are at the beginning of, of a semester. I don't know what your summer was like. I don't know what the past, I don't know, it feels like two years that we've been in COVID. I don't know what that has been for you. I don't know if you've been around and, and gotten into a church if your time in the word, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've just been drifting. You feel so far, you feel so confused. You don't know why God has you here. You don't know your purpose in life. You don't know these scriptures. You're just, just kind of floating and drifting. And so what we can learn from this is immense of how we can go all in and what things we need to lock in on and dive in and believe in in order for radical, radical transformation to happen in our lives. So what I want to do tonight, uh, I want to give you three things from the scriptures that changed everything for the disciples. Three things that changed everything. I mean, you could probably make a list of 18, but I think these three are absolutely huge for the disciples. And I want to do a little bit of a before and after. It's like, you know, when you watch a a movie series or whatever, you watch Harry Potter and they start off and they're all these little kids and then you watch like the ninth Harry Potter. I don't know how many there are, but it seems like there's eight. Darn it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm always corrected and that's fine. I love it. I need it. Uh, how about The Sweet Life and Zach and Cody? Anybody? Anybody know that one, right? And then they do All Grown Up or something and you're like, whoa, on deck. That's what it was. Yeah, they, yeah, Sweet Life and Cody, they're on deck and you're like, you're kind of old now like are you still should, should you be doing this show in Disney and you know all this stuff and so all of a sudden every, there's just this radical transformation and so what I want to do I want to do the before and the after and then show you what changed in hopes that those very things are what we would begin to emphasize and lock in on that it would bring radical transformation for us so number one they finally understood the Old Testament the Old Testament the Bible everything clicked for them 
Everything that Jesus was doing was like giving them one little puzzle piece, and they didn't really have the rest of the puzzle to go off of, so they were just trying to make sense of that, and I think that's often what we do, is we don't really know what the whole Bible is about. We don't know that this is one cohesive unit that God is working in. Yeah, there's 66 books, there's tons of different authors, but God is writing this. He is supernaturally working through these men, inspiring them, guiding them into this truth to tell us of himself. But oftentimes we're running around with a little puzzle piece and we're trying to make sense of it. And that's often when we get into trouble and we start to interpret the Bible in one little petri dish and not understanding in its whole, and then we get into dangerous waters the things that we would say of who God is and what God is about. So the, their understanding of the Old Testament, specifically that all of the Old Testament was building towards Jesus, that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, that, that all of the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi are pointing to Jesus. Every prophecy or promise that, that the prophets would give predictions about the future of, of, of who it would be were Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of those things, and it finally clicked for them. Number two, the resurrection. The resurrection. It's a pretty, pretty uh, big moment, right, when someone rises from the dead conquering death. That should give you some kind of confirmation. And then finally, number three is their mission. They finally knew what their mission was what God was seeking to do in them and through them for the rest of their lives. But in each one of those, they didn't really understand the beforehand. So I have a few things. We, we're not going to uh, go there necessarily in the scriptures, but I do want to show you uh, a few of them. They didn't understand the Old Testament. That was our first one. Here's, here's a little bit before. Uh, I have a verse up here on the screen, Luke 18. Luke chapter 18 now he took the 12 aside, these are the 12 disciples aside, and he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man, this is Jesus' title for himself as, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, will be accomplished. He is going to fulfill all of the prophecies. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, who is that? It's Rome. He will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be ridiculed and abused and spit upon, and after they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. That, that is true. That is exactly what happened. Jesus predicting that, knowing that will come to pass before it has happened, and here's what happens. The disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of the statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Jesus explicitly lays out exactly what is going to happen to him in his betrayal of Judas, his being arrested, his put on trial, his being beaten, mocked, and scorned by the Roman, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. He tells it to him rather plainly, and they don't have a clue. Like, well, I don't, well, I don't understand. They don't, it, it doesn't make sense to them. Let me give you another one, Matthew 16. This one you probably, maybe you have seen it on a t-shirt. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Same idea, right? And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests. That's the religious leaders that were there uh, in Jerusalem and, and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Talk about being put in your place. Get behind me, Satan. He says, you don't know what God is up to. You have what is on your mind of what man thinks. See, they didn't understand what all of the scriptures, what all the Old Testament was pointing to. And the reason for that is because they had a skewed expectation of what the Messiah, the promised savior of the world would be. It was skewed. All throughout the Old Testament, they were expecting a military leader, a mighty, powerful leader to establish dominance in a physical form across the world. They were expecting the next emperor, the next king to rise up and bring on a new world power and bring peace and righteousness through physical conquering. That's what they expected. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, that's not what they get. They get a humble servant that loves, that lays down his life, that washes their feet. And they're like, why are you, you're a king. We should be washing your feet. We are unworthy of these things. They didn't understand the method and the goal of Jesus. They didn't understand what he was all about and what he was going to be doing because he didn't fit their expectations. They, they marveled at Jesus with his miracles and his teaching, but they couldn't ever fully understand it. And I don't think they ever fully committed. They were one foot forward, one step back because they didn't understand what he was doing and what he was about. They expected a mighty king, but they got a humble servant. But all throughout the scriptures, you can see it, that that's where it was going. It's easy for us to say, right? We've already seen it in hindsight, so it's very clear to us. But for them, it was difficult. And so they didn't fully understand the Old Testament. The second one, the resurrection. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to rise. They didn't understand that the Son of Man would be lifted up on a cross, but also raised up from the dead. First one we have is, is uh, the denial of Peter. You maybe probably remember this one, that he denies Jesus three times. This is, you can see it in Matthew 26. This is after uh, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, and it's, it's dark at night, all of these things. They're out praying in the garden, and then all of a sudden some Roman uh, soldiers along with Judas show up, and they arrest Jesus. And the disciples, they're freaking out. They have no idea what to do and what's going on. One of them, I think it might be Peter, grabs one of the guy's swords and like chops some of his ear off. And Jesus is like, hey, that's, no, 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 no. We're not, that's not, again, I'm not the mighty king. I'm not establishing dominance. You're looking for the wrong thing. He heals the guy's ear and he says, live by the sword, die by the sword. That's not the route we're going. And so they're still confused and they don't want to be arrested. And all of a sudden, they just desert Jesus. They run away. They get away from him. They completely disassociate themselves from Jesus because they don't want to be like, oh, I'm not with this guy. I don't want to die like Jesus is about to die. All of a sudden, they start to tuck and run. After following him for three years, they desert him and they leave. 
Peter, he's more gung-ho. He follows at a distance as he's being led to trial of the Sanhedrin. And then he goes and he stands behind, by some fire. It's cold, it's dark, and he's standing there warming up by the fire. And then a girl looks and notices him and says, weren't you with, with that Jesus guy? He says, oh, no, no, no. No, I'm not with him. He's like, oh, okay. And he keeps going. And another girl, no, I think, aren't you with that Jesus guy? I think, I think you, and, and, and Peter goes, oh, I don't, I don't even know him. Like, I don't even know the guy as if. He completely denies, disassociates. And then finally, this whole crowd is kind of noticing this moment. Like, no, you are with the Jesus guy. You even talk like him. You look like a Galilean. I think you are. And then Peter just starts cursing completely, disavowing completely. And it's like, you think I would talk like this if I was with this Jesus guy? Blank, 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 blank. No. Goes away. Which again, Jesus predicts that that was going to happen before the rooster over there even crows in the morning. He says, you're going to deny me three times. And then he notices it and he's immediately just struck. He's ashamed. But see what happens. He completely denies even knowing Jesus. He says, I don't even know the guy. I'm not even close to him. I don't know him at all. But just moments before, he says, I would die for you. So what's, un what's not happening is in his arrest, they don't understand the plan. They don't know he's going to be resurrected. They don't know what's going on. And so they run away because they don't want to get stuck in this. Another one, Doubting Thomas. You know Thomas. Gets a bad rap for being Doubting Thomas, but there's a reason why. Uh, right here, uh, next one, I think it's in John. Yeah. But Thomas, one of the 12, who was called Didymus, Didymus means he was a twin, ditto, twin, Didymus, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So this is after the resurrection happens, and he, uh, Jesus showed himself to some of the disciples there in the room that they were staying, and, and Thomas just wasn't there at the time. We don't know why, but he wasn't there. And then he comes back, and then all the disciples are like, bro, he was here, and he was on and on. And they're trying to tell, like, all these things, and he's like, he was here. He's alive. He's all this stuff, but we don't know for sure. We don't know where he went, and they're just excited and confused. And the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails that they drove through his hands and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He says, I don't care if you said you've seen him. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Until I put my hand in his nail so I know he really was the one that was on the cross. Otherwise, it's a facade. It's a joke. It's not real. So I'm doubting. Thomas isn't alone in this. All the other disciples, we could go down the list of, of really they're, they're kind of running away and cowering after Jesus was arrested and crucified. In fact, uh, when, when Jesus shows back up on the scene, they make a little comment that all the disciples were hiding in the upper room with the door shut and locked for fear of the Jews. They're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid, just like those little girls, like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Were you with Jesus? They're afraid they're going to get thrown in prison, or worse, that they were going to be killed for associating and following Jesus. 
They're completely disassociating themselves with it. There's other things that you could kind of piece together uh, that Jesus one time approaches them and they're all out fishing, which if you remember was their old business before they started following Jesus. It was their family business. So these guys, you can even begin to gather, they just started going back to their old way of life. They're like, man, we really thought that Jesus was the Messiah. We thought he was the guy, but I guess not. And after three days, they're like, I guess we just go back to fishing. We were wrong. We missed it. Man, what a waste of three years, right? And they just go back to fishing. And then Jesus shows up again. And he's like, hey, if you want to fish, go fish over here. Make, make, me some, make me some food. Right? They had just completely moved away from it because they didn't understand what was going on. They were done. They packed their bags. They said, this whole experiment is off. And we were wrong, and we don't want to die for it. They didn't understand the Old Testament. They didn't understand the resurrection and what God was doing and what God was planning from the beginning. I share all of these stories about the disciples because the resurrection and their understanding of the Old Testament right here in this moment is going to change everything for them. But that's the before. That's where they were at. You wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in where they are in that moment. You would see these guys have given up. They're afraid, and they don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. But then everything changes. Turn your Bible to Luke 24, because this is really where everything clicks for them. Um, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but Luke physician that followed Jesus around and in his later missionary journeys, he is the only Gentile, non-Jew, uh, that, that writes anything in the scriptures. 66 books, 64 of them are uh, men that were Jews. Luke is the only Gentile writer. He was a physician. We don't know what practice at all. Um, and, and there was a man by the name of Theophilus, which we'll more, learn more about uh, next week, that, that asked him. He was a, a man of high order, of wealth, of power. Uh, asked Luke to give an account of everything that Jesus did. And then everything after Jesus uh, had, had risen and ascended of what was happening then. And so we really have two accounts from Luke, one of all that Jesus did, and then life after Jesus of how Jesus continued to live and work through his church, through the Holy Spirit and his apostles. And so Luke 24 is the, the end of Luke, and it really segues us right into Acts. So we have to start here if we're really going to understand the book of Acts. But Luke, uh, what words? Luke 24 uh, really starts, this is the first day of the week, this is Sunday, this is the day that Jesus raises from the dead. 24 verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. This was to embalm his body so that it wouldn't rot and stink and do all of these things as a sign of respect, really a ritual that they would do to people they respected and loved. And they were going to do that because, again, they don't know that he's going to rise from the dead. And they found the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. It had been rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. He's saying, hey, 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 this was all according to the plan. Do you, do you remember that? 
You shouldn't be shocked by this. This was all according to the plan. But do you remember that while he was still in Galilee? Galilee. Verse 7, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. They said, ah, that's right. Verse 9, and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest little sermon in the sermon, let me just tell you that Jesus going to the cross and dying was not plan B. It was not plan B or C or anything else. It was plan A. It was the plan all along. So if you have some idea that Jesus is some just good, loving teacher that, that throws some good morality and good vibes into the world that we should all love each other and, and he got killed because people hate him because he's loving and we're just kind of living on this like good, feel-good vibe and this mantra, that's not it. That was the plan all along. And it was to save the world from sin as a righteous sacrifice worthy of praise and honor and glory and our worship. It was plan A all along. But we continue, so they go back and they tell all these things to the 11. That's the disciples, Judas, one of the 12. He's gone now because he betrayed him, so it's now 11. And they tell that to all of them, all the rest that were there. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Verse 11, but these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. Has it clicked yet? No. No, it hasn't. They still don't see it. They still don't believe. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. Remember, this is three days after, and they're, they're just kind of processing the crucifixion in this insane scene. And now, like, apparently he's risen, maybe he has, and they're processing all of this. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Got to be a fun school to, skill to have. And he said to them, what are these words that you were exchanging with one another as you were walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? It's like, how are you in Jerusalem and not knowing what's going on? Are you living under a rock? Jesus says, well, technically, yeah, whatever, that doesn't matter. He said, not anymore, that's how I'm risen. Uh, and he said to them, what things? What's going on? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See? They're kind of tracking, but they're not all the way there. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Thing, but it's been three days. So there's probably no hope left, which is a bummer, and that's why we're sad. Verse 22, but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. 
they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? He says, man, you're missing it. You're missing what plan A was all along. I'm not what you think I'm supposed to be. I didn't do it the way you thought I was going to do it. I'm not this mighty king that's going to rule by swords and spears and chariots. That's not how I'm doing things. He's redeeming people. He's redeeming Israel, but it's not through bloodshed of others. It's through his own blood shed on the cross as a sacrifice for us. John the Baptist got it right when he saw Jesus. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John saw it. The lamb, that was... That was an animal they used as sacrifices all the time to appease the wrath of God for their sin. And the people of mankind, or the Israel, they would constantly offer up these sacrifices all the time to appease the wrath of God. It was the sacrifice of man, the sacrifice of man. It was the lambs and bulls and goats and sheep and all these things that we bring a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. And then in a moment, it's the lamb of whose lamb? So man cannot fully and finally appease the wrath of God, but God can. And all the wrath was poured on Jesus. All the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion, for our sin, for our disobedience to God, for our being glory thieves to live for ourselves instead of God who is worthy of it, went on Jesus for those that would believe. Jesus says, I am redeeming Israel and way beyond it. But it's not how you think. It's not a physical reign yet. It's spiritual. It's in your hearts. It's in your souls that I am redeeming for an eternity. They didn't see it. Verse 25, sorry, verse uh, 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I mean, man, that's a beautiful moment. He says, do you remember that verse? That was me. He's talking about me, and that's how I did it. Remember that verse? I fulfilled that right here. You remember that verse? I fulfilled that this way. You remember that one? That's about me too. All of these things are concerning myself. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. It's not somebody else. It's me. He's filling in the blanks for them. And then they approached the village where they were going, and he, is, he acted as though he was going to go farther. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So we went in to stay with him. When he had reclined at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Again, wildly cool skill that we don't have. But they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? He said, man, I felt so on fire. Everything was making sense. This, this is it. The picture is coming 
much more clear. And then jumping over to verse 44, he's just appeared to all the disciples. These guys that were on the road to Emmaus, they run back the seven miles. They're in the upper room and they're telling everybody, this is just what happened. It's insane. And in that moment, Jesus shows up and they're all shocked. Like, this is the Messiah. He's here. Is he, is this for real? And then he asks them for it to eat a fish. And I think they all just stare there in amazement as he eats really slowly. That's my, my vision. Probably not true, but it's cool to think about it. Verse 44, now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Psalms must be fulfilled. You got to see Jesus had to fulfill every single prophecy about the Messiah, otherwise he isn't the Messiah. Because God's word is true and it will never go wrong, it will never contradict, it will never be unfulfilled. And he fulfills every single one because he is the rightful Messiah. Verse 45, huge. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He puts it all together. And the light comes on for them. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See what Jesus has done? He puts it all together. He says, this is your understanding of the Old Testament. It's all about me. I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. And I rose from the dead to fulfill all of those things and to conquer sin and death for the world. And now here's number three. Here is your mission. Verse, 20, or verse 47, repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you guys are the witnesses of these things and you are going to tell everybody see in that moment he puts it all together he puts it all together he says you know what this is about you know why i had to die you know why i had to raise again you know that i proved all of those things it is confirmed now you guys it's your turn and you're gonna go and you're gonna go tell everyone of this good news that's what the gospel literally means good news of what Jesus has done for us. That's the mission. He puts it all together. That's the before. That's the climax. Now after, just to tell you here about these guys, these apostles, the ones that are now being sent out, we're going to go through this book of Acts and you are going to see men that are bold, men that are courageous, that will not step away, will not shy away from a moment to share and proclaim the good news. Those Jews that they were afraid of, that they were hiding and, and locked away in some, in some room for fear of those Jews, they would stand boldly in front of them. And these guys that said, hey, if you don't stop talking about this Jesus guy, you're going to jail. They'd throw him in jail. God would bust them out through all of these angels and, and free them. And they would keep proclaiming the good news. They would rejoice for the suffering because they got to be with Christ. They said, we're going to walk with God, not man. They preached, from the, they preached the gospel and they're pulling from the Old Testament left 
and right because they see it. It all clicks for them. Now think with me for a moment. Think with me on this. These men went from cowering fear, disassociating themselves from Jesus, denying that they ever knew him at all, doubting his resurrection, going back to their fishing business. They had given up. I don't know if you know this, church history from the first, second century, third century tells us that all of these men, except for John, die as martyrs, as witnesses of their faith. They died because they would not stop talking about Jesus. They were killed. Peter, the one that denied Jesus, he was crucified on a cross, except he told them, put it upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the same way of my Savior. He says, put it upside down. I'm not going to recant. I'm not going to renounce my faith because that's my God and I know it. Thomas, there's another verse, John 20. This is right afterwards where he has this moment with Jesus. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, place your finger here. What's he doing? He says, I'm answering your doubt. Place your finger here and see my hands and take your hand and put it into my side. The hole's still there. The gash is still there. And do not continue in disbelief, but be a believer. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Everything clicked for him. Thomas later, we know, uh, died in India sharing the gospel because he was speared to death. His last words, as they would say in, in church history, it's more of a rumor, but that they told him to recant and renounce his faith. And his last words were, my Lord and my God. That's my Lord, that's my God. He went from doubting to dying for it. Now think with me on this. These guys wouldn't go to the degree that they did if they thought this was a lie. They wouldn't go on this full 180 to we want nothing to do with this man till I will die with this man and I will die for this man and for this message. It was a complete 180 because they had a faith. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that he rose from the dead, that he is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. And they know their mission of why they exist and their purpose here on earth. These men would not have died. They would not have kept this up. They would not have kept going and sharing the good news for what they thought was a lie. They would have kept their bags packed. They would have gone fishing and they would have just stayed out of sight like their plan was until Jesus showed back up. These men would not have died for a lie. So for us here in this room, I think there's a lot that we can pull from this one. Do you know and believe the gospel? That Jesus really lived. He really lived a perfect life. He fulfilled every prophecy from the Old Testament. He died the death of a sinner. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's why he died. So that we could have life, so that we could be seen as righteous though we are not. That's who he is, the savior of the world. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you know the scriptures? 
Do you know what they're about? Do you know what, what way you fit into this? I love stories. I don't know about you. I'm a, I'm a storytelling guy. I love listening to stories. And there's two types of stories. This is the story we live. This is the story that you have lived your entire life, your, your biography, the things that you have gone through, the tough moments, the great moments, the people you've met along the way, the, the, the everything that you've lived. It's the story that you live. And there's a second one. It's the stories that we live in. It's the story that's way before us, and it goes on way after us. It's way bigger than us. And it's not about us. We're just a blip on that radar. So maybe it's time for the perspective to change on why we exist. Maybe it's not just for us and our pleasure to live for ourselves, but for, for the story that we're living in. All of history is God's story. It's his story. And we're living in it. And I hope, like all of these apostles, we would live along and we would be witnesses of what God has done in this world and in us. Because what started there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago was the beginning of the church. Ecclesia means called out ones, ones that have been called out by God for a greater purpose, to no longer live in rebellion, but in conformity to him, to his reign and what he is doing. Acts is where the beginning of the church is recorded and it's still going. And here we are 2000 years later in Denton, Texas, a bunch of Gentiles telling of a story much bigger than ourselves, much, much bigger than ourselves. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your point A is. I don't know where your next step is, but can I tell you where I would start? Do you know the gospel? Do you believe it? What God has done, what Jesus has done, because there's nowhere else to start. And for those that do believe it, do you remind yourself of that every day? Do you live in light of that gospel every day of grace and forgiveness in repentance? where we start do you know this word man our challenge is, is to be a student of this word that it might change us here's the beauty of this the more that you get a grasp of this word of what God is doing of what God is calling us to the more it gets a grasp on us the more it begins to change us because that's the power of this word that's why we preach it we can't go anywhere else we can't go anywhere else Finally, do you know your mission? Do you know why you exist? And if you do know why you exist, are you living it? Are you walking in it? That's where the book of Acts is going. That's what we are living out in light of. We're just continuing this. So I'm excited. I'm real excited uh, for the following weeks as we move through this book and we learn. We're inspired. We're convicted. We see, man, we, we've got it wrong in some ways. And we've got to continue in some ways. And maybe, just maybe, we as a people can model this and continue what God is doing. Because I think we're, we'll find a lot of similarities to these guys. This world, the, this Denton, Texas that we live in, UNT and Texas Women's University and NCTC and TCC and Dallas Community College and working around. I mean, we aren't the home team. Do you notice that? We're not the majority. The whole world isn't just living for God and in love of him and love for him. 
we're the minority. And we've got to stick out. We have to walk with God for the sake of this world. To love them and tell them of a greater hope than they can ever know. To be a light in the world, a city set on a hill. That's what we get to do. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. We get to be a part of it. For the sake of radical transformation in our lives, and we pray in our day. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for what you have been doing all along in our lives, in our midst, all around us, that, that we are living in your story. We are not the main character. We are not what all of this is about, and, and our happiness is not our main goal, nor should it be. You are far more for our holiness, for our being set apart to live for you, to live away from this world or against the, the, the movement of this world, to live for you, your glory, your honor, your praise, because you are the one that is worthy of it. Now, you offer life to the full, and we experience that think we find more joy and more hope and more satisfaction than, than this world finds. There's, there's higher highs maybe in the world, but oh, oh God, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of devotion. You are worthy of worship. God, in this time, we, we worship you in song, but I pray all of us collectively and individually would live in light of who you are and what you have done for us to die and rise again be fulfillment of everything this book talks about and to give us a mission way bigger than ourselves. Oh God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.